Hey, y'all. Pretend we're football for the next hour. I'm your host, Will Bezer. I'm joined alongside by Johnny Brashear and Tim Preston, as always. You guys listen to the Hornets Cast channel, which you guys can find on any podcasting platform out there. Well, we're back. It's another basketball season. Hopefully better than the last. Hopefully has a better ending than the last. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll talk about that. We'll kind of give you a big overview of what Texas basketball is this year. Who's on this team? What this team looks like? What the expectations should be for Shaka Smart and for the fan base in general? We're gonna hit it all. So let's go ahead and get started, guys. So another b- year of before basketball. Before we get into that, oh, go ahead. I, I, go ahead. I, no, no, no. I, go I, do it. I think. Well, we no, no, no. Just, Johnny. Just by by all measures, just go ahead and interrupt me. We'll get this podcast started off right on the right That's, foot. It's it's what we need to do. Plus, I really feel like. We need to give the proper pomp and circumstance to the fact that for the first time in the, what, four, is this four years we've done this? Five years? I, I don't even know how many years at this point. The, the first time in the, the history of this podcast, Tim Preston is going to sound silky fucking smooth. <laughs> he got a new microphone, and if you didn't, if you thought he was as fuckable as ever, wait until you hear what he sounds like on this microphone that looks sort of like one of those mosquito zappers. He's uh, it's it's really impressive. Just just go ahead, go ahead, Tim, say something. Donde el baño necesito muy mal burrito. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm oh, done. Oh, man. <laughs> if you don't want Tim Preston after that, ladies and gentlemen, you just don't know what love is, honestly. Yeah, you love to hear it. It's I want him inside me right now. Yeah, we'll climax three times right then. So, Yeah, it was, uh, it was something to behold on video. Too bad this is a podcast. So let's go ahead and break this down, y'all, because it's been an uneventful few months since we last talked. Been more interesting to watch this team grow is what I'm trying to get at. Especially Johnny following every one of these players on Instagram. It's his favorite thing to do. I had to turn off Greg Brown's retweets on Twitter. I can't handle it. He retweets anyone who says something even mildly complimentary of him. And 15% of my Twitter feed was randos on Twitter going saying 100 or he hit different. And I mean, he does... But I don't need to see that 28 times a day. So, uh, Greg, still following, only seeing your original tweets. So, please recalibrate. And I, I know you're listening. So He is just, one just, of the 11 listeners. Yeah, he is. He, is, he might be number 12. <laughs> oh, are we growing? He was almost at Johnny levels of retweets. Almost. As far as filling up my personal timeline, but. Yeah, it was it was a lot. It's that is a good idea. A I should put Johnny on only original tweets. Yeah, it'll it'll fix a lot of your problems. Yeah, but let's go ahead and get into this. Has been a great introduction to this podcast for those who are joining us this year, Greg Brown. But Hedgehog go, Fam, let's go ahead and get just a few things to know about this year before we dive into it and start off with the roster. A few things to know about this year. This is Shaka Smart's most talented team he might have ever had, including that one that he took to the Final Four. In terms of 
star rating in terms of athletic ability, just general skill talent, this might be his most talented team and his deepest. On the other hand, the Big 12 is very good this year. We'll get into exactly how good the Big 12 is probably in the next show, but to kind of break it down and and boil it down to something that's consumable in a minute, Hat the Big 12 was ranked in the preseason, and five of the top nine spots in Ken Palm are occupied by Big 12 teams. On top of this, this Texas team is going to go through a pretty tough slate in the out-of-conference schedule with Villanova, Kentucky, and potentially Bama, Indiana, and or UNC. So they have a tough schedule coming up against them. With that being said, y'all, with this team being so loaded theoretically for what Texas fans usually expect in this program, how do you manage this talent? Because Shaka Smart, in the past, what, five years, has not been great at managing rotation. So who is your starting five, and how do you rotate in the other four guys out of this 13-deep roster? So that was a lot. It was. I uh, I appreciate the thoroughness. Well, you, you definitely spent at least six minutes putting that together. And so thank oh yeah, you for that. with y'all's help, I heavily, was, was heavily of, help. Yeah, there's. I'm gonna go retweet some stuff while you talk some more. So there is. I, I guess what I would what we'd start with is who is your starting five, and and I don't think there's gonna be much difference between us on this. In that, it, in my view, it is Coleman, Ramey, Andrew Jones, Greg Brown, Jericho Sims. Like, I feel like they are going to be the starting five for the vast majority of the games that we see. Beyond that, and this sort of gets into your larger point, there are eight other dudes, well, seven, eight if Jace gets healthy, that are going to want minutes, and there are only 200 minutes to hand out. And who's he going to pick? Like, who who is he going to prefer over others? Who's actually going to get to play? Especially when you've got guys out there that seem to have pretty defined roles. You know, the Royce Hams, the Brock Cunninghams of these of the world. How do you divvy that out? And I I think that's sort of going to be what what makes or breaks this season. Is Shaka is sort of a notorious over rotator. You, you say he doesn't handle the rotation well. I say he gets more guys in in 200 minutes in a game than anyone outside of maybe Bob Huggins. To his detriment, but boy, does he love to bring guys in two minutes into the game. So I don't know. I guess, that Tim, who's your starting five going to be? And we can go from there. Yeah, I think that your five is the five that, like, you know, a little bit behind the curtain for everybody here. Not, what, a couple weeks ago, I want to say I... I sent for sure at least to you, Jonathan, but maybe it was to Will too, but I had, had been bored and <laughs> lonely and just incredibly sad. Uh, so I made some power rankings of the Texas basketball team, <laughs> like person by person. And Johnny's top five, her starting five are the same as, as you know my top five from that. I'm interested to see, I don't know how I feel about all of Ramey. Andrew Jones and Coleman starting. They're clearly the, they're probably the best three players on the team, you know, with the exception of Greg Brown. But I just, I wonder if you put all of your firepower in your starting five. I, I do wonder if you start a guy like Stretch or Cunningham or something like that with, you know, in, in placement of, of Ramey or Jones, not because either Williams or Cunningham are better, but just 
to have something that you're bringing off the bench as far as firepower. But I think that Jonathan's right that Coleman, Ramey, Andrew Jones, Greg Brown, and Jericho are the most likely. Um, See, I'm interested in that because if I feel like Kai Jones could easily work his way into that starting five. He seems to be one of those guys who has the most upside uh, and potential ability to maybe unseat Jericho Sims. Well, I guess, yeah, we might as well just talk about this next question now. I, like, Jericho is a sound, sounding rod? No, what's... what's lightning what's rod? The, lightning rod for me, sorry. I don't know how I feel about him. He's a talented guy. He's uh, done a lot of really good things for Texas. He gives you a lot of options defensively because he can, he can switch some. He obviously is a great mover. When he has been on offensively, he'll have a night like, well, he'll shoot seven of eight, right? Like, he can give you those kind of nights. He led the team in rebounding very easily last year. I'm not sure if he will this year, but I, I could see it. But as as I started thinking about how we were going to fill out our nine, I really came up with a couple questions. And the first question for any of the other guys, right? If you if you have a starting five, or or I guess for me, perhaps more aptly, that top four of Jones, Greg Brown, Coleman, and Ramey, then for the other nine guys... I started asking these two questions of number one, do they help with spacing? Number two, do they help you play faster? And I think that uh, the other nine guys that we're talking about, like, so again, if our, if our top four are Coleman, Ramey, Jones, Greg Brown, then the other nine are Jericho Sims, Jace Febris, uh, Donovan Williams, Brock Cunningham, Kamaka Hepa, Royce Ham, Gerald Liddell, Will Baker, Kai Jones, right? So of those nine, when I was thinking about how I was going to fill out the rest of that, do they help you with spacing? Do they help you to play faster? And I think for a lot of those guys, for probably, well, four of those guys, the answer is yes. I think you can get to eight or nine guys on our team that the answer is yes, they help you play faster. And yes, they help you with spacing. Most of those guys say yes to at least one of them. Like, for instance, I think Kamaka helps you with spacing, clearly, right? He's a, he's a good shooter. I think that Royce Ham helps you play fast. I'm not sure that either of those guys check both boxes, that Kamaka helps you play faster or that Royce Ham helps you with spacing. But I'm not sure Jericho helps you with either. I'm not sure he helps you with spacing because he's not an offensive threat outside of 10 feet, 8 feet. And I'm not sure he helps you play faster. And there's also the problem for me that any time that he's on the floor in our offensive sets, he becomes the de facto ball screener at the top of the key, which means that that's time when Greg Brown cannot be doing that, or as Will said, that Kai Jones cannot be doing that, or as the guy that I might champion a little bit more, that Will Baker cannot be doing that. So it's 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 a really interesting dilemma to me because I think both of you are right that the rotational, the personnel rotations and how fast we've been playing have been significant issues. And so if if we see those things as problems, you know, is it going to be tough to tell Royce Ham, hey, you're not going to play 15, 20 minutes tonight? I don't think that that's going to be a tough decision. Will it be tough to tell Jericho, hey, homie, you're rocking 13 minutes a game? When he's used to playing 30 or 25 or whatever, you know, that those will be some of the questions. Or Jace, it's going to be interesting to me to to think about. Johnny, when you would fill out the rest of your top nine or whatever, so if I'm thinking about spacing and, and pace, what are your thoughts as far as how you'd be filling that out? Well, or 
are we asking how I want them to do it or how I think he'll do it? Because those are two entirely different answers. I understand uh, your your point of sort of what you're looking for in terms of spacing and playing faster. I feel like if you have a team this deep, this is the time for Shaka for the first time since he's been at Texas to actually get out and run because he hasn't done it since he's been here. Maybe the fastest team was that first team and it still wasn't fast. It was just faster. The last three or four years have been glacial in their tempo. If you could spend uh, a portion of this off-season workouts teaching guys like Jericho, Will Baker, Royce Ham, Kamaka Hapa, etc., uh, how to throw an outlet pass to a guard on the run, I feel like that would be time well spent. Because if you are truly going to take advantage of a team that, that is as athletic as this one is, especially guys who are not great in the half court like Liddell, if you can get them out on the run where they can be more dynamic, uh, you should do that. If it were up to me, and I, th- I feel like this solves two problems at once in that if you get out and run, if you play at a high tempo, if you are constantly pushing the ball like, you know, let's say every UNC team Roy Williams has ever had, then now you're not saying I got five guys who are going to play 30 plus minutes a game. Those guys are starting, but maybe they're playing 25, 27 minutes a game and you have freed up. 10 to 20 minutes that you can hand out to other guys that helps deal with, you know, keep keeps them all bought in, ha- allows you to bring in guys who uh, otherwise might not see the floor much because they bring energy, a la Royce Ham. You know, you can give him 8 to 10 minutes a night uh, as opposed to 2 because you're trying to sub in to keep guys fresh because you're running. I would be a strong proponent of playing a very aggressive offensive and defensive game with with a team that has this many guys who can contribute. Will they do that? I don't think they're going to do that because that has not been in Shaka's DNA thus far. I haven't gone back and looked at his VCU years, but even to my memory, even those weren't particularly high tempo. The tempo was generated off of the the press defense creating turnovers rather than the offense pushing. If they're not going to do that, then we're back to five guys who are doing 30 plus minutes. And then you got 50 minutes to dole out to eight other guys. And that's going to cause problems, potentially. Maybe those guys are all bought in. Maybe they are all for one, one for all in a way that I, the most, most incredibly competitive humans are not. But I'm, I'm skeptical. And that's, that's going to be a word you're going to hear from me a lot this season is skeptical. So if we're doing the nine, Tim, who are your next four? So for me, my nine are uh, the five that Johnny said, right? So one more time, you got Coleman, Ramey, AJ, Brown, and Sims. That's your five. My next four are Kai Jones, Will Baker, Brock Cunningham, Donovan Williams. So who's so missing me, from those, that? Jace Febris is missing. Febris, Kamaka, Liddell, and Ham. And Drayton Whiteside, you son of a bitch. Yeah, Drayton Whiteside will get his... This is my... No, I don't even know if this is as bold of a take as I think it is, but he will get his jersey retired by January. So I guess a, a little bit of kickback... It's only because you said January. <laughs> a little bit of kickback I would give to Johnny, or at least you know, just to further the conversation. What I think I heard Johnny talk about was 
playing faster, getting out and moving, getting guys minutes. That only works if your top five guys can sustain a lead. So here's kind of the problem that we've seen a lot with with Shaka is even when we've won, like against good teams, we don't blow people out. Like they'll grind some shit out and they'll figure out how to like win some close games on the stretch. Like you think about like the Oklahoma Oklahoma game last year on the road at the end. Or even when they are blowing a team out, they let that team back in. Right. And so all of a sudden, instead of getting minutes for stretch and getting minutes for Cunningham and finding five more minutes for Royce because we're up by 25 or 27, we see a 17 point lead go back down to eight and well, oh shit, now we got to bring the starters back in or we got to figure out our top five because our top fives have not been good enough to build these comfortable leads consistently. Now, maybe our top five will be good enough. I, I, I think so. Right, I think a top five of Coleman, Ramey, Jones, Brown, and and whoever, whether it's Kai Jones or Will Baker or Sims or whatever it would be, that's a pretty damn good top five. Will that be good enough? And will it be good enough right away to put us in a position where in some of those early non-conference games or even against Big 12 opponents that we should beat, the Kansas States or the TCUs or Iowa State or whatever, can we figure some of that out? Because if we can't, Nine and nine is a legit possibility again in the Big 12, right? Nine and nine would be fine, <laughs> you know, and you hope for for better than 500. But any game that we lose, like legit any game that we lose early in the season with this, you're looking at a line <laughs> or at least potentially nine and And if this team does have second weekend aspirations, like you can't throw shit away. Like there's a reason Gonzaga kind of was always in there because they tear shit apart in the beginning of the season. And they don't lose non-conference games. Are we going to be able to do that? Do we have a starting five this year that will get us there? Are you going to have a close game against UT Rio Grande? Right. I, I really want more than I could possibly explain for Jericho Sims to de- debut a 35% three-point percentage just so that I could spend the entire season telling Tim to suck my balls. <laughs> Where he's just... Well, we've both, we've just oh, we've both seen just, his three-point shot. Two or three a night, and it's like that, that backspin is just beautiful, and then it's like, well, which of the two does that help with, Tim? Every week is just going to be me spending... like It's just going to be a weekly segment of... Which of the two did that 35% from three help, Tim? That, I would also love that. That sounds wonderful to me. But, uh, you know, back to that point, that means if, if my nine is correct, that means two seniors, Royce Hammond, Jace Febris, and two juniors, Liddell and Hepa, are getting not just small minutes, but maybe like legitimately no minutes in some games. I, I, am, I am of the opinion... And this is this is not some sort of inside information. There is a caveat to this season in terms of roster management that is that is not there in a normal season, and that is that the NCAA has waived uh, scholarship limits for the next season due to COVID. And so basically, the guys who could play five and four might play might be able to play six and five, six six years or six five years out of six is maybe a better way of putting it. There are a lot of guys who would maybe have not jumped to... Oh, and I should say it only works if they stay with their current team. So they can't go transfer somewhere and do it. With a guy like Jace, who is a senior right now, 
and is coming back from surgery and it is is taking time i mean it was, it was a significant surgery so you know it's understandable that, that it's going to take some time a guy like that getting another year for next year and he won't cause any sort of roster issues after that it would not be the worst thing in the world to let him work his way back as slowly as humanly possible to make sure he is absolutely 100% because now you got 12 guys for a significant chunk of the season that are looking for minutes instead of 13. And uh, maybe they say, hey, do you want to take a red shirt this year and work on rehab? Just, I, you know, again, I don't have an idea that they're going to do this. I'm throwing out a hypothetical here. But if you take a guy like Febra's and say, spend this year working on rehab, we're going to honor your scholarship, you get another year, next year you come back, you're almost guaranteed to be in the starting five as a redshirt senior or whatever, that solves or, or makes the math significantly easier because now you've got a guy who you know, went from, I don't know how many minutes he did last year, 20-something, to none, and... Now you just got to deal with 12 guys who are trying to clamor for minutes. And so you got, instead of having to deal with top five and then eight other dudes, you're dealing with seven and it makes it incrementally easier. So I, I would not be shocked to see something like that, that come about. So let's go ahead and drill down a little bit more into some of these starting five guys and what we can expect out of them. I'm especially interested in the three guys, Courtney Ramey, Matt Coleman, and and Andrew Jones, because those are supposed to be your creators. I guess Andrew Jones is more of a guy who is a scorer on top of that, but definitely Matt Coleman and Courtney Ramey are your quote-unquote creators, the guys who can get you the ball in a multitude of ways. And with the potential of having a guy on the floor like Kai Jones and then obviously Greg Brown, who are two athletic and exciting and explosive players, I'm excited to see what those three guys can do what what should I expect out of them, I guess? Well, I guess it, it, this, this is one of the unknowns for me, is that um, given the turnover in the assistant coaching staff and the new guys that have been brought in, like uh, Nevada Smith and Katie Turner and Cody Hatt getting promoted, and I feel like the fact that Nevada is was a former G League coach, specifically one that Isaiah Turner uh, learned how to shoot a, a pretty ridiculous rate of threes, from I'm not sure what the offense is going to look like. And given that, and, and I say that because uh, last year under Neil Barry's sort of idea of the offense, the point guards were as much there to, they were they were penetrating to open up passing lanes to, to get an open three. And uh, they didn't finish at the rim very well at all. And I don't know if that was entirely by design, but their ability to finish the rim was was barely subpar. So my hope is that this year, when you have a senior and a junior guard who are going to be the predominant ball can, ball handlers in this in this team, that they are going to be going to the rim to look for layups and contact, and then possibly kickouts to 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 the perimeter. If they do that. I think it's going to help the free throw late rate, which was abysmal last year. Uh, I think it's going to help give the defense another thing to worry about because, frankly, I think there were Big 12 teams at the end of the year who weren't super concerned about any of their any of the point guards finishing at the rim. And I think it's going to just help things generally. Coleman being a preseason All-Big 12 player kind of surprised me a little bit just because it's, it's – 
it speaks to how, how highly other you know other coaches think of him and if he's that guy then that's that's really good for for the team Ramey if you get the best version of Ramey all season long, things open up all over the map because uh, he becomes a threat from deep. He becomes a, becomes a threat to finish the rim. And then Andrew Jones has maybe the greenest light in the history of green lights uh, from Shaka. He he said in his press conference that Andrew needs to shoot as much as he possibly can. That's that's almost verbatim what Shaka said. And it and that's not so much a green light as it is like a bonfire you can see from space. If Andrew is shooting that well, then uh, look the fuck out, everybody, because he could hit it before. So if he's if he's anywhere near what we saw like sophomore year before he got sick, then that's that's a whole other thing. So and it will uh, open up the floor for guys like Greg Brown and and Kai Jones and Jericho Sims and other yeah. guys to create. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know a guy like Andrew is is good. He's really good in transition. Uh, he's a threat. In, I mean, in transition or even in the half court to pull up from anywhere 26 feet and in. So that's going to warp defenses. If his ball handling has improved to the point where he's not getting picked as easily on his crossover, then that's awesome. Just generally, like, I, I feel like Andrew Jones is going to tell the tale of this season. His performance, for better or for worse, is sort of going to define the ceiling for this team. So the fact that Shaka is already talking about that dude needs to shoot every time he can, he possibly can makes me feel a little optimistic about how things could be. 100%. I, I, I am not surprised that Matt was picked first team. I think that's actually kind of um, indicative of how good he well, was last year. Well, of course you're not, Mr. Matt Coleman <laughs> fanboy. Uh, yeah. You've, been, you've been parading Matt Coleman since two years before he got on campus. Come on. I'm just saying, me and every Big 12 coach, right? I mean, come on, you guys can have your own opinion, but me and the Big 12 coaches believe this. But I think Matt. I, I think I think Matt Coleman should get out of campus. I think I think he is the worst player on this team. Tim, your thoughts? <laughs> uh, so, but the team is Andrews, right? Matt Coleman's the senior. Matt Coleman's the four-year starting point guard. The team is Andrews, and I and I really think. Am I excited about Greg Van? Hell yeah. Do I do I latch on to the incredible performances that Ramey has had kind of dotting his time at Texas? Absolutely. This is Andrew's team. He's the heart. He's the most talented player. Um, what he can do when he's, you know, just kind of normally on the court impacts games just just phenomenally. Johnny talks about, well, what if he shoots threes like he did at the beginning of his sophomore year? Fucker shot 38.5% last year. <laughs> like that it's really damn good like we'll, we will take that all over the place right and if matt hadn't started out like 70 percent or whatever for the season andrew would have going away been our best shooter and i don't want this to be the hey i'm gonna pile on jericho podcast but, but one of the things <laughs> one of the things that, one of the reasons that i talked about like that shooting stuff and the spacing and the, and, and the pace stuff is i think we'll see i think when i talked about that that nine that i had Every single guy, every single guy, except for Jericho. And, but again, Jericho adds so much other pieces and he's been, you know, around the block with a lot of stuff. Every single guy gives Matt and Courtney and Andrew 
an opportunity to be their best as creators and penetrators or shooters. Like they have so many options because every guy on the court can shoot. Everybody on the court can, can crash the basket. Everybody on the court is, is, is long and athletic. They just, they give you so many options that as a creator just opens up your world. So we've been talking about Matt Coleman and Andrew Jones and they're very good and they deserve to be talked about. But the one guy on this team that is going to be talked about probably in every single broadcast is a guy I've already brought Drayton up. Drayton Whiteside. It's Drayton Whiteside. The Drayton Whiteside story is going to be all over the place. If you don't know who Drayton Whiteside is, then you honestly just don't know Texas basketball. Uh, but then there's also going to be a smaller side story following this team around is a guy named Greg Brown. You might not know who Greg Brown is because of Drayton Whiteside, but you probably should know who Greg Brown is. Uh, he is a five-star that Texas pulled up to replace uh, Drayton Whiteside after he leaves to go join the NBA All-Stars. He is probably going to be a one-and-done, and as we've already said, is an instant starter. What should Texas fans expect out of Greg Brown? I think you mean billionaires Royce Ham, just so we're clear. Wait, yeah, we already uh, talked about him, but I, I kind of wanted to go over. Was that you who came up with that? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the tipster. Yeah, billionaires Royce Ham. God, my hottest take. Don't don't worry, that gets referenced multiple times in one of my upcoming pieces. <laughs> uh, who is Greg Brown? So Greg Brown is um, is a six eight long local kid from Vandergrift um, High School, uh, top ten recruit in the country. A little bit different than anybody that we've had as far as um, he's he's not as skilled as Durant, right? No one is as skilled as Durant, so he's not that kind of player. He's not the kind of like bruising um, ultra defender that Tristan Thompson was. He probably really isn't even like a Damian James from a standpoint of I, I think he's kind of a little bit more well-rounded, but not quite as physically uh, strong as James was. But he's just a – he's an incredibly fast – incredibly explosive skilled guy who who really will give you a lot of options wherever you put him on the court whether he's the primary screener at the top of the key where he can slip where he can run to the for alley oops where he can step back and hit threes or whether you have him off the ball and he's setting down screens or trying to get to the basket on on back cuts or whatever if you've not seen the video highlights of him dunking it's it's quite breathtaking um, I, and he's. I've seen him do it in person. It is yes. He, he did. He did a between the legs dunk in transition in a live game, and that was three minutes into the game. Tops. Right. I mean, he he moves like uh, he he's he, he's just an incredible athlete. Just an incredible athlete. And he's like a deer. He, it's like watching a deer <laughs> prance through a field. <laughs> he gets knocked a little bit because, you know, he, I, I think because he's such an incredible athlete that that becomes a focus. But the guy reads the floor incredibly well. He's actually a, a very good passer. He's a terrific rebounder. He's a better shooter. Particularly, I think he'll be a better shooter when he doesn't have to be a primary ball handler. Like when you're as good as he is, he was he was bringing the ball up the floor for his high school team. He will not be asked to do that here. So he'll have an opportunity to kind of to, to be more of a of a player that, that fits in a mold. Yeah. I'm really excited about him, and I'm excited that he's another guy that will for sure be a first-round pick, which which helps us as far as a program and where we want to go. So how do you use him, or how do you set up this offense to maximize what he brings to the table? 
Uh, I think you put him under the basket, back to the basket. <laughs> let him, let him cook. <laughs> he's just, he's just, he's going to do nothing but post moves all game. Have on. you seen Dexter Pittman play? Yeah, basically. Just redo yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tim and I have of. Uh, marginally different uh impressions of how to deploy him i won't speak for him because lord knows he speaks for himself enough on this thing but i he is one of the primary reasons in which why i would like to see this team go fast and push and transition and get moving because the more open space you can get that guy the better the result because a couple of reasons one is his incredible athleticism and the other is that he is about 160 pounds soaking wet and if you put him in the paint in the big 12 uh, there are a ton of dudes who can muscle him straight out of the paint so the more you can get him on the move the better I like the idea of back cuts. It would be nice if Texas, for the first time in, say, half a decade, used back cuts, because that seems to be something that's just sort of, I don't know, it's very Princeton offense, and Shaka doesn't seem to like anything Princeton-related. So I would like to see him in pick-and-roll movements as as the screener with guys like Andrew Jones, with some other guys, you know, with Matt Coleman, like, basically, where you can get him moving towards the basket— or you can get him to pick and pop a little bit. Get him with someone who is also multifunctional so that the defense has to pick the poison, right? Like, you know, get him in a, a screening role with Andrew Jones where Andrew is is going towards the basket. Then, then the defense has to decide, okay, am I going to pay attention to Andrew Jones rolling to the basket or, or am I paying attention to... Greg Brown rolling to the basket or Greg Brown popping back out to the outside. Like that's sort of the role I'd like to see him in. So, and I, and that's <laughs> everybody on the Jericho Sims bird wagon trade or whatever. Uh, that's another reason why I think it's tough for us to, to give Sims a ton of minutes right now. Cause I think Johnny's right. And I want to go back to Johnny's point about, about playing faster. Yes. Yes. I want them to run fucking every time, every single time that they have numbers or even if they can get one on one with some stuff go like there's just no reason not to with this team. I mean, because you go up and down the lineup like there's a lot of division one programs that Donovan Williams would be their best athlete and he might be our fourth best athlete. Kai Jones is stupid athletically, just dumb. Uh, Greg Brown is stupid athletically, just dumb. You know, it's just from a standpoint of of why you think about when we talked about Andrew, Courtney and Matt as playmakers. And then we talk about why this team has a chance to be really good is because you never had to play Jericho for the pop. Never. And if he's rocking 25 minutes a game or 27 minutes a game last year, that is our first main action. Our first main action where he was very consistently that ball screen guy where never did defenses have to play him for the pop. And you have to play Kai for the pop. You had to play Greg for the pop. You had to play Will for the pop. You had to play Brock for the pop if he if he's that screener guy, right? Well, but you have to let's, also let's see Will hit a few threes before we play him for the pop. But yes, theoretically. Kansas State happened, you son of a bitch. Kansas my State My namesake happened. will be good this year. That, that game was half of Will Baker's points for the year. TCU also happened, you son of a bitch. Fuck you. <laughs> you think about 2010, 2011, when Jordan Hamilton fucking falls down at half court, uncontested, and and the ball goes out of bounds, 
and we lose in overtime. Like he fell out, he fell down at half court with no one around him going down for a dunk. That game goes to overtime and we lose. We're a four seed. If he gets that basket and we don't go to overtime, are we a three seed? Are we a two seed? Like who knows kind of what happens, but like, like you hate to put so much emphasis on like, well, we have to win every game. We have to win every game. But look, this is a team that obviously I think should have second we spent second weekend aspirations. And if you have second weekend aspirations, you have title hopes. And when you're talking about that, I think it's really important then too to say, look, sorry about your feelings, Gerald Liddell. They don't fucking matter. Like your feelings don't matter because this team has title hopes. And so you got to play the guys that are going to get you there that you think give you the best chance to win. Your feelings be damned, right? And I and and I just think it's going to be a, a really it's going to be a tough year where some guys are going to have to make some sacrifices. But you do that when you got a roster like this, when you can move like these guys can move, when you have the diverse skill sets that they have. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see how Shaka figures out how. Yeah, look, I've got four guys who can really, really, really play. And five other guys that can play. How do I manage that? How do I put those guys in situations where we can accentuate what they do well and maybe take away from from some of their struggles? By by adding three more guys into the mix. That's how. Make it a (laughs) 12-man rotation. So what will y'all be watching for this season? What will y'all be watching for this season? Did did I? Wait, look. Okay. We, We got to talk about Tim Preston's child, Matt Coleman. We got We got to talk about... Will's child in Courtney Ramey. Uh, my child, Brock Cunningham, will not be ignored, <laughs> you sons of bitches. I've I, talked about him. I spent, I, him I spent two years alone on Brock Cunningham <laughs> Mountain just dying <laughs> over and over again where I was like, you guys, I swear, he's he's got something. And then, <laughs> And then, you know... The entire team came down with Ebola, and finally Brock got to play. <laughs> and so, and suddenly everybody went, "Hey, you know that guy's got something." And I'm like, "Motherfucker!" <laughs> I've been telling y'all this entire time. Anyway, I think he should be a good rebounder. So, <laughs> thank you, thank you, Johnny. I'm yeah. glad we have that that insight yeah. there. Yeah. That's, Anyways, that's it. what that's are you guys right. going to be watching for this season to understand who or what this team is? Give me, give me one thing. Like, when will you know, and what are you watching for? Boy, broken record here, but I just, you, you know, I want to. As Johnny pointed out before, there seems to be some script to the ways that Shaka has decided on his substitution patterns, personnel rotations, things like that. And I would not be surprised if we see some of that stuff pretty early. Now, I don't mind those patterns if they make some sense and they showcase like, okay, well, we we think that bringing Raimi off the bench gives that second group or that second personnel rotation stuff like a, a, like a, an obvious playmaker and scorer. So we're going to start Stretch or we're going to start Cunningham. Um, but I, I don't want to say that Shaka has been willy, sorry, willy-nilly with some of this stuff. But I really want to see right off the bat, what do we get from him as far as here's who I think these top eight guys. And I, I'm glad that Jonathan referenced uh, Shaka stuff today because one of the other things that he was talking Why about. Why do you keep calling me that like you're my teacher? 
<laughs> Jonathan, pipe down. Yes, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> One of the reasons that I liked that JB was talking about the press conference today that Shaka had. Johnny B. Shaka. Johnny Basketball. Shaka also talked about that there were going to be eight guys. Like he talked about some guys not playing and that there was going to be some tough situations and, and some decisions that people didn't like. But he said, we need to be all about Texas, which is the correct answer. Um, and I, I like hearing that from him because I don't I don't think Shaka is a blow smoke kind of guy. Like, I think he's a very intelligent, thoughtful guy, and he will give you what he's thinking about. Uh, now, I might not always like what he's thinking about. I might not like some of the coach speak that you get from him. But I want to see if this is where he's at right off the rip, where he says, look, homies, Andrew needs to shoot a lot. Yep, that's the right play. Andrew does need to shoot a lot. And then he also says, we probably have about eight or nine guys that should be playing. Yep, I agree with that. Now, we'll see if his eight or nine mixes with who I think the eight or nine should be. But I really want to check. I, I just Liddell, I really I have Hepa. <laughs> right. Right. I, I wanna see I wanna see that. I mean one thing I'll give Shocker credit for is that even though he does coach speak it a little bit, if you listen to him for long enough, you can sort of see through it fairly well. Where like he'll give you sort of euphemisms, he'll give you kinda uh, not tangential answers, but like he's not gonna lie and you can start to divine things. So if he is already saying we need to play eight guys or nine guys, that's good. I mean, I, I, I'll I wait to see it actually happen before I'm going to believe it. But he doesn't generally in his press conferences tend to just straight up lie about things, right? Like he's he'll if he's saying something like that, then he's at least thinking about it. And if he is thinking about it and he's going to do that, then that's hopeful. You know, we, we can talk about consequences of that another time, but like I... If he is actually going to get down to here are my eight or nine guys and and these are my ride or die guys and then the other guys come in if there's some sort of you know secondary issue of foul trouble or whatever then okay I, I I can work with that I'm definitely the football guy of the podcast but I'm gonna go ahead and throw my hat in this ring I think you're gonna be able to tell who this team is by the end of December and I know that's only what eight games. But you're going to have Texas play teams that are very low, like, you know, the, the what, the third tier or the fourth tier. You're going to have them play second and third tier, and then you're going to have them play top tier. And you're going to be able to see them against all of these teams. You're going to see them against Villanova and Baylor. You're going to be able to see them against maybe Indiana or at least Davidson. And then you're going to also be able to see them play against UT Rio Grand Valley and Texas State, you're going to be able to see them play all these different arrays of teams, and I think that's going to give you a good sample size of who exactly this team is and how Shaka Smart is going to be deploying this team. What I'm going to be looking for, again, as you're saying, is the way he runs his offense, You know, how quickly does the offense go this year, how improved the team is in terms of shooting, and then on top of that, you know, the rotation of players. And that's when you're going to be able to see what you can expect of this team. Yeah, you know, one, one of the consequences of this truncated season is that every team has had to cut fluff. Their non-conference play is roughly half of what it normally is. It's, you know, six, six, seven games instead of 13 or so. So you are now seeing teams like, like they, they're not just not going to have, they, they can't build up wins off of a bunch of, you know, randos that just sort of show up, Right. 
super quick aside did y'all see like bc is playing holy cross fucking six times i didn't see that no (laughs) there's some like (laughs) there's some northeastern schools that are there that like in the same city that they're like legitimately scheduled to play each other five or six times that shit's they need to make it a best out of seven if i'm honest (laughs) um so yeah like if you know when you when you add in the fact that you know, the Big 12 being as tough as it is and that they have cut out the fluff in their non-conference, then yes, you're definitely going to see who this team is fairly early because they don't get to fuck around, right? They, they got to play Villanova. They got to play all these other teams. And they got, was it Kentucky and Baylor in the space of 72 hours? So they're, they're not going to be like, well, let's see how, how many different ways we can get Kamaka Hepe into this. It's like, no, these we're going to have to play Kentucky at Kentucky, and then we got Baylor at home, so we got to ride with our guys. Hopefully, and again, I'm waiting to see it before I believe it, hopefully uh, Shaka is going to run with an eight or nine-man nine group. We pretty much were done with Shaka Smart, speaking of him, by the end of last season before he went on that ridiculous run. And that you haven't seen since, what was it, 2012 at Texas. This year, again, as we've been talking about, he has the most talented roster he's had in his potential coaching career. How does he convince you and or Crystal Conte, you know, whichever one's more important for his job, that he is the guy to lead Texas to better things or at least back to where they were when they had Barnes? So I want to talk about Barnes for just a moment here. If you go back to 2009, 2010, the eight years before that, here's here are the the results in the tournament. Eight years prior to 09, 010, or sorry, 09, 10. Sweet 16, Final Four, Sweet 16, first round, Elite Eight, second round, Elite Eight, second round. So in eight years leading up to 2009, 2010, five Sweet 16s, three Elite Eights, one final four that's objectively awesome that's not good that's fucking awesome <laughs> right and and yet it's the peak of texas basketball in this century r- well in any century right <laughs> of all time and maybe forever right it's certainly possible that we are never going to see that kind of run again it was incredible to be a texas basketball fan at that point and will you have been that like that would have been really cool to be like upper elementary through high school ish is that right for you yeah yeah no, and i was like Middle school to elementary school, yeah. Elementary yeah, school, that would be school. really cool to like have that as your yeah, your like your formative years. That's cool. Yeah, no, that that definitely raised the bar and my expectations to something that was <laughs> never going to be able to be uh, gotten again. Yeah, this is what life is as a Texas basketball fan. <laughs> Incredible, <laughs> uh, and yet at the same time, there were certainly factions of Texas fans that would look at Rick Barnes and say, "I don't know." I'm not sure. Wow, he's done great things. Wow, we've been really good. I'm not sure. Now, to voice those concerns would have been pretty douchebaggish. Right? Like it's it's hard to it's hard to voice these complaints when you're rocking five sweet sixteens in eight years. And yet it was there. But 2009, 2010 comes along, and all of a sudden, you've got a roster that kinda looks a little bit like this one for Shaka. Like it's a very, very talented team. And he's got what what I thought would have been his starting five that year, and who I would have thought would would be his top five is Jacovin, Avery Bradley, Jordan Hamilton, Damian James, Dexter Pittman. Five guys who've all played professionally for a decent amount of time at differing levels, obviously, but five guys who were there. Now you also had some backup guys, Gary Johnson, Doge Balbay, 
Justin Mason, uh, Matt Hill, Clint Chapman, some guys that could also play. Doge Balbay, the best defensive player I've ever seen come through Texas. Just want to throw that out there. Uh, Corey Joseph was really, anyways, but. Um, has, but has regar- nothing on the Turkish guy. Nothing. <laughs> Regardless, and I want you to then think about 2012, 2013, when Rick goes 15 and 17, the year that they lose to Chaminade. Now, that year blows. I, I, don't, 2000- I don't want to think about that. <laughs> yeah. Javon Fleeks is a freshman. Cam Ridley is a freshman. Sheldon McClellan's a junior. Julian Lewis is a junior, right? The the you know the wheels fall off. It's just a really bad season. It sucks. They pay blah, blah, to blah. lose to Houston in the CBI. <laughs> right. In the CBI. But when I when I compare those two years, right, 2009, 2010 versus 2012 and 13, 2009, they start out 17-0, number one in the country. Amazing. Awesome. We all know how that year ends. They beat North Carolina in Jerry World. And Michigan State. That was yep. – I was at that game – and I, as well as most of the players, spent the entire game watching it on the big screen above the floor. <laughs> Just looking straight up in the sky. But I will say that as bad as 15 and 17 was in 2012 and 13, Rick not winning in 2009, 2010 with that roster was a, oh shit, this is never going to happen. Like if you can't win with that roster, if you can't, figure it out with those guys, then it's never going to work, right? Hey, you're a nice guy. Thanks for the great success. It's not going to work. Now, if you think about those comparable things with Shaka, a lot of people would go back to that, his second season here, right? The first season, Texas gets a six seed. They played pretty well. I think they were like 11 and seven or 10 and eight in the big 12. Uh, 11 he, and seven, he, yeah. He, yeah. He gelled well with, with, with Isaiah and Javon and, and, and Cameron and like and Prince had that really nice run towards the end when Ridley was hurt and it's just like okay all right that what a, what a feel good year for what could have been weird um, for guys who had played for Rick for so long and then the next year happens and we're ass <laughs> just like the worst year other than maybe Pender's last year I don't remember for sure which what his record was but I it think Chuck was bad. even yeah and, and also so. that was the year we started this podcast so. Hooray. Yeah, <laughs> was that the so, year? Yeah, didn't we was start on eleven and twenty-two? That was the year. Yeah, God, what an year. awful start! It was. It was really it's bad. Been nothing but <laughs> up since. Uh, and and I think that I, I will say this, and to you know, to being very roundabout, to back to Will's initial point when you talk about, hey, what do we need to know from Shaka? What's going to happen here if Shaka can't win with this team? Right, and every coach has issues. Every coach has blind spots and and problems in in their in their acumen, or can't fit. Like maybe this coach can't figure out his support staff. Maybe this coach can't figure out their personnel rotations. Maybe this coach can't figure out the X's and O's of defense. Like like every coach has blind spots. They all do. Um, but no matter what, if you cannot win with this team, I don't think that there's any coming back from that. Right? I mean, short of some kind of weird Andrew Jones, you know, coming up with leukemia or whatever, but just I, I, you know, to to Will's point, if if it doesn't happen this year, what are you waiting for? Like, what? I don't know that there's an argument that can be. I don't think there's any argument that can be made that says, okay, we'll bring Shaka back. Even the money stuff. Like, I guess you know, maybe he won't get fired, but I still think if he doesn't win this year, there's just nothing he can do for me, and nothing other than, well, I play out your contract, and then we'll see you afterwards. Go find another job, right? But I just there's just there's no excuse not to to win and win pretty significantly with this roster. Yeah, I think uh, 
I think the way I, w- I would look at this is is it's sort of a a two year window, right? Like I, I mean, I, I say this as someone who uh, called for Shaka to be let go last year. Um, I still haven't seen anything to change my opinion of that overall. Like one five game win streak, and then Oklahoma State finger blasting every single one of Shaka's immediate relatives in front of us at the Irwin Center. Uh, doesn't really do a lot to change things. That was a lot of fun. That was to see live. Yeah, that was. Yeah, well, Will and I got to hang out and be like, "What the fuck?" Together instead of separately. So yeah, there was that. So, like, I mean, I guess it, it, where where Tim is more of a you know, if he can't do it this year, when can he do it? Which is a valid point. I am of the. I am sitting in the. I don't think he can do it, and I need to see it proved to me that he can. Um, so the next two year window in not only the results this year, but how he manages this roster, how he manages to keep the roster together or not over, uh, the next season, given the amount of amount of seniors who are theoretically leaving at the end of the year, how that year turns out like that's, that's all going to play into this. How can he coach when the stars aren't aligned? Like they well, are I mean, year. I think we've already seen how he, how he does when the stars aren't aligned. Like this, this last five years have been one long uh, experiment of Shaka coaching when the stars are not aligned. Um, although true. You, you can make the argument of what you know, sometimes the stars are not aligned, and sometimes he did not align the stars. So there's there's that. But um, I feel like especially given, you know, Tom Herman's situation and and you're going you're looking at the possibility of a bunch of donors trying to buy him out like if if you're going to try and get donors to foot a 15 million dollar check for Herman, how likely are they going to want to foot a 9 million dollar check for Shaka? I mean, there's just a lot of there's a lot of variables at play. So, I I guess the end result of or the the end of your your question is what am I looking for is like wins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I guess that kind of leads into the end of our basketball talk for this episode, which is what can fans expect out of this year's team or what should they expect? What are some reasonable expectations that Joe fan should have for the 2020-2021 Texas basketball team? Can, can I take this a, a little different direction and do a ceiling and floor? As a, as, a, as a way of doing this? Because I, I feel sure. like maybe, maybe a range of outcomes is sort of... Why not? I mean, sure. the show just is kind of jazz at this point, so why not? <laughs> we just Yeah, because uh, we're all improvising on methamphetamines, so that's pretty much jazz. I would say the ceiling is, uh, for me, a, a Sweet 16-type team, um, a second weekend team. Uh, you know, Depending on the draw, you never know where they're going to end up, but I would say that this is a team that has the talent to make the second weekend. So I'll call that the the ceiling. Um, I don't know that I would call this a final four caliber team at any point, but maybe elite eight. I, again, depending on the matchups, right? Like if you make maybe it to the they, second make, weekend, you have a chance at the elite eight. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you get Kansas state's luck where Virginia has the worst upset in the history of mankind, when you're supposed to meet them in the second round, then suddenly the path opens up. Right. So, right. Uh, I, I'll say the ceiling is Sweet 16 with possibility for further. Uh, the floor is that 
Shaka can't figure out how to dole out the minutes. Guys get frustrated. Uh, the bench doesn't perform up to standards and or starts to check out because they're not getting the minutes they want. And this team spends the entire year on the bubble and doesn't make the tournament, especially in a brutal fucking Big 12 where it's very possible there's a tournament level team that's going to go like 8 and 10 or 7 and 11 in conference. So um, at that point, then maybe they're back in the NIT. So that that would be sort of my ceiling and floor for this team. Tim, where are you expecting this team to be by the end of the year? What are the expectations that these fans should come in, you know, watching this team with? Yeah, I guess I'm a I'm a little bit more bullish than Johnny is. Uh, that's just sort of I guess that's that's how it always is. But yes, yeah, it's on brand, right? We're tracking right here. I think that this in any given season, you think maybe somewhere between 8 and 12 teams would have title aspirations, right? I think if you're a top 10 or top 12 team, you should feel like you have a shot. I think the talent suggests that this is that kind of level of team. Anything short of a of a second weekend would be pretty disappointing to me. Not awful, but you know, I I think that this would that this team should kind of qualify as as that level. That being said, it's going to probably be a pretty high loss season. So don't be surprised if Texas's record is not great. Now the question is going to be, how is it not great? Like who are the losses to? Do we see some of the same narratives that we've seen in the past where, wow, a great win at Texas tech and then get shit rocked at home by a team we shouldn't lose to, you know, do you have some of those kind of drops of, of not being ready to play or whatever it might be, but do they lose to the teams they are supposed to lose to and beat the teams they're supposed to beat this year? What do you think? That would be incredible. <laughs> um, I think so. If not, what what a what another notch in the Shaka can't cut it kind of thing, right? If you if you can't if you can't take a team that has if you can't coax the most or or figure out a way to get the most out of Coleman, Ramey, and Jones, if those guys are your primary guys and those guys are probably rocking somewhere between eighty and ninety minutes combined or more every single game, if 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 you can't take that and and parlay that into some pretty consistent wins, even against decent teams, then obviously there's just not a whole lot left for Shaka. I, for me, anything lower than like a five or six seed would be pretty bad, you know, because then you're talking about being not just not favored in that second round, but probably like if you're a seven seed, then you're rocking against a two seed, and that's going to be a tough, a tough out, even in a shortened season with the circumstances how they are. But I don't think Johnny's off base. And I think that there's going to be some losses that are out there, but I also feel like this is a team that I would project stronger. Like I, I'm hoping for a three or four seed by the could end of have season. an exciting win here or there, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you're saying? Okay. Yeah, I think so. And and you know, are they able to pick up a win? Do they beat Baylor at home? Do they beat Kansas at home? <laughs> not happening. You, no. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't. You know, it maybe not. Maybe but, Villanova at home. You know, maybe. right? Well, they're going to have some options. They're going to have some chances. And this, you know, again, they. The right guys get hot at the right time, and and we'll see. But Kansas as seen, at Kansas is is you're playing Kansas and the Big Twelve refs at the same time. So yeah, not 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 this year because they're only going to have like two thousand people in the fog this year. So it's not ah. going to be quote unquote the fog, right? So I think this is an interesting year where you wonder: Does senior leadership really really win out this year because there's no fans? Does, you know, does being truly the more gifted, talented team make more of a difference this year because you don't get those same kind of environments that you would normally, particularly at a place like Kansas State or like Oklahoma State or whatever, where 
you would normally like add a number of points to those teams. I'm pretty sure Oklahoma Iowa State. State's going to be packed just because they're also converting it into an ICU unit. So <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> Do COVID patients cheer? I guess we'll see. Those ventilators are loud as hell, man. Wow. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and steer away from that conversation real, real fast and get to everybody's favorite part of this podcast. Every, you know, if you look on the pot, you know, the horns casts, uh, ratings and everybody's recommendations for it you'll always see a big old gold star one gold star you know talking about this part of the podcast is our favorite pretend you're getting to know us so at this this point we do it just sheerly out of stubbornness yeah yeah and spite yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's your favorite and i'm sure it's ours too so this year we're starting off with everybody's favorite subject coronavirus so, if you haven't got enough coronavirus outside of this podcast, go ahead and uh, we're going to start here. Y'all, what has been your unexpected, what have, what thing do you unexpectedly like or dislike about this whole pandemic quarantine? What has it been that's been like, huh, you know what, I really hate that. Or, huh, you know what, I really like that. And, you know, just kind of kind of was snuck up on you. So what I like is my liver. It is fucking rock solid. My liver is an unstoppable force of greatness and resilience and friendship. It doesn't yell at me. It doesn't criticize me for my decision making. It has stuck by me for the last eight months. And look, I feel better than ever. Do I have clumps of hair falling out over weird parts of my body? Yeah. Do I have lesions all over my skin? Yes, yep. <laughs> But is my liver just coming through in the clutch every day, legit every day for the last eight months? Yes. I just want to say I'm I'm really proud. I'm so grateful. Hashtag humble. Um, Yeah. Jeez, my liver is unstoppable. Just A-G-T-G. Yep. I love it. I just, I love my liver and it and I have, have had quite a run. When we stop quarantining, his liver is going to, like, collapse on the bench like Jordan after the flu game. (laughs) It's just going to be, like, other livers there just toweling it off and trying to, like, you know, trying to to get it it back. At this point, it's got to be, like, King Hippo from from, uh, the Tyson game where it's just a big bloated mess the entire time. One shot and it's down for the count. But right now, it's, it's, it's still taking blows. So Johnny, what about you, man? So um, if we're if we're talking about unexpected things, I here's the thing i I have been I have been working from home for what eight months now, and my girlfriend has as well, and I am surprised how well we get along now that we are just basically around each other all of the goddamn time. You know, we always got along well, but we also gave each other space, and so now there's not space. So it's it's good that we've gotten along well. What has surprised me is that, you know, she's over in like sort of the, the dining room. I'm in the study. Uh, we each have our meetings, you know, that we could probably hear each other. I know I can hear her. And I get to listen to her talk on Zoom meetings about her job and, you know, run people through her stuff. And um, she's really good at her job. Not that I thought she was bad, but like, she's really good at it. And the surprising thing is, it's kind of hot. 
like I kind of I listen to her over there like running through things and she's very knowledgeable and she knows her shit and she's like she's she's very she's a she's very good at what she does and it's it's kind of turning me on so um it's so fucking on brand for johnny to be turned on by spreadsheets yeah she's no, she's like over there presentation she's over there project shit. managing if you're being shit held hostage just like, by your girlfriend please blink twice she's no like she's <laughs> she, she's not even she's not even in the room like i've told her this because i'm like hey I just, just let you know this because it's kind of hot. She's like, thank you. And I'm like, no, seriously, this is kind of hot. And I just give her those eyes. Like, yeah, this is kind of hot. I would like to do something about this. So it's, it's not an idle observation. Um, so, so that's. We are utterly, totally alone right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your because Google Forms knowledge is off the charts. Because of the implication. That's why I'm talking about this. Um, yeah, so that. I, I not that I ever thought she was bad about uh, at her at her career. She's had it forever. But hearing her hold court, I'm digging it. Nice, nice. I think the thing that has been unexpectedly in between dislike and like yeah, for me is a twist. Right. It, it's the fact that there are anti-maskers out there, and I'm not surprised by it. But I'm surprised by the fact that I like it and dislike it. And the reason I like it is because one, it makes me feel smart. Two. It's a lot of fun to watch on the internet. And I didn't think about that when I thought about this. And obviously I dislike it because they're idiots. You know, but at the same time, and I feel like this is a shitty, shitty answer, but he, what was it? George Carlin always said, think about what the average intelligence of the country is. And then half the people are dumber than that. It, it makes me feel above average. I'm the part above the line. I think the anti-mask videos are white people world star you know they had the world star videos that were a big hit and it was always like it was always like people fighting at a waffle house at 2 a.m or something this is like the strike this is my this is my reality tv the trashy reality tv it's cops but masks yes (laughs) watch these people who are like misquoting the constitution about the freedom of the press while talking about their mask and it's just on private property yeah like you know they they've they're that's their freedom of speech even though they've gone into uh, a private company's place so congratulations good job yeah no that it has turned into my trashy reality tv is watching anti-maskers and i didn't expect that because i hate trashy tv i hate watching like shameful or shameless or whatever it's called on Netflix, my girlfriend watches that. I absolutely hate it because I hate watching stupid people. I hate, I, I don't tolerate stupid people well. But watching them has unexpectedly been a lot of fun. Well, Cedar Rapids just today was named by New York Times the worst place in the country for COVID growth. Oh, so, congratulations. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Soybeans and COVID. Let's fucking go. So let's fucking go uh, somewhere outside with a patio. (laughs) 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 Oh, legit. I have, I have not eaten at a place that is not my home since March 13th. Wow. Yeah. Now, Texas has only really been an issue when they open the bars in Austin, at least. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. Open the bars, open the gyms and lo and behold. Boom. Yeah. But yeah. Well, Mostly, if you if you listen to this podcast and you care about what we have to say, 
it really it's really cool. Like we really appreciate that, and we hope that you are being safe and making good choices, and and that you and your family are happy and healthy. And all twelve so, of you, yeah, whoever you are out there, whatever is true about your life, thanks for making our show a part of your day. Please be so. safe. We cannot afford the ratings yeah. drop. Yeah, <laughs> our iTunes dollars are just yeah, just tough shit. Yeah. Well, I think on that note, y'all, on that mushy gushy note. We're getting it off there. Uh, thank y'all for pretending we were football for the past hour. I've been your host, Will Bazer. You guys can find me on Twitter at W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R. Hey, Johnny, where can we find you? Well, I am now on Substack, which is a site ah. that I was apparently more aware of than 98% of the internet. Uh, because yeah. <laughs> every time I mention it, people go, what is Substack? And I'm like, it's it's just, it's a website. Just, it's. So uh, it's going the opposite way of Barking Carnival. Yeah. Barking Carnival is dying. Substack is growing. Yeah, yeah, yeah yes. Um, so, well, some portions of Substack are growing. I don't know if mine is. Um, so I'm talking about the company in general. Yeah, in just, general, yes, in general. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I am, I am the sort of, you know, I, I got the rear brake just locked down on them but they're still growing you are um, dragging this company behind <laughs> yes i am i'm send me your credit card numbers yeah. so bitterwhiteguy.substack.com uh you can find me on twitter at bitterwhiteguy and uh that's and here i'm also here which means you can find me on spotify and google play and should we come up with a new thing for tin this year or should we just go back to the old because i mean it kind of comes it kind of comes Naturally, it's sometimes. Gotta be nat- yeah, just let Johnny figure that out as as time goes on. We'll okay. Have a, it'll, okay. It'll be okay. Yeah. It could be organic. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, Johnny, where where's Tim this year? You know, where that's where not we organic. Find him? We just <laughs> Wait, okay, whatever. Fine. Like, okay, yeah. We're just talking know. about organicness, and you're like, throw it to Johnny. You know, Tim, where where can we find you this year? Where where what is what is the Timster up to this year? He's clearly not on the basketball court. No, no, I'm not. I am at InsideTexas.com. And on Twitter, Inside Texas Hoop, no S. And I, yeah, no S's. Thank you very much. I walk my dog, Murphy, uh, four times a day. And I ride my Rogue Echo bike Mm -hmm. for 250 calories Mm -hmm. each day. Mm. And I go for my 5K run every day. That's uh, what we like to call a homeless person's triathlon. Yep. And I drink every night in my basement tim i want you to give me a story from the life of tim over the past week can you do that for me the past week well my friends last night i was really pissed so i play a game called apex so i have my two friends mac and tom and mac and tom they're very good tennis players they're a little bit younger than me good guys well mac's a good guy tom's kind of it's fine but we play this game called Apex Legends. Maybe people have out there ever heard of it. It's kind of like a it's kind of like a battle royale, sort of like Fortnite, but anyways, I'm not very good at that game, mostly cuz I drink. And they're very good at that game, so every night is sort of like a question of like how angry they're going to get with their friend Tim, like and I'm just the drunk guy who plays Apex with them. But then eventually we get like I get drunk enough or they get frustrated enough with me with not being good at that game that we play a game called Rocket League. Well, last night I'm pretty good at Rocket League. Even though I'm drunk, I'm decent at Rocket League. 
And last night, they kept on fucking going in front of me. Like, they wouldn't let me hit the ball. Like, I tried to hit the ball, and all of a sudden, Tom would zoom in in front of me. Well, he would hit it weird, and but, like, I'd be going for the ball, he'd hit it weird, and all of a sudden, they would score against us, but they would score because I was trying to go for the hit the ball, and he hits the ball in front of me. But they get pissed at me because he goes in front of me. It was obviously my shot, but he tries to hit the shot, and it's not his shot, it's my shot. But then they're like, Tim, he's just drunk, what a drunk asshole. No, fuck you. You shouldn't have gone in front of that ball and hit that. And it's it, very frustrating, so I rage quit. And then, I don't know, then I sent both of them apologies on text messages about rage quitting, but I was already drunk when I sent those apologies, so I don't think it came off that, or I, I don't, then I fell asleep. That is the most fuckable anyone has ever sounded talking about Rocket League. <laughs> that <laughs> microphone is amazing. Don't <laughs> oh, oh, man. Well, guys, you guys can find this show and others like it on the Hornets Cast channel, which you guys can find on any podcasting platform, as Johnny has already said. Tell your friends, tell your family. Let's get us up to 13 listeners. Uh, you know, maybe Brock Cunningham will listen. Greg Brown. The loss can't live forever. Yes, yeah, that's, that's true. We're gonna get we're gonna be down to 12 pretty soon here. <laughs> that's awful. Uh, thank y'all for listening. We'll see y'all next week. Hook 'em. Hook 'em. Johnny continuing it this year. God. Guy's an asshole. <laughs>